0: All right. Good morning, Redemption. Uh, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and we are starting a new series today on the book of Malachi, and I am stoked for the series. It's going to be a good one. Uh, this is the last prophetic book of the Old Testament, and in your Bible, it's going to come uh, just before you get to Matthew in the New Testament. And I'm, I'm stoked. Israel in this book is asking the question, like, has God left the building? As God Left the Building. The context for this book, it's about a hundred years after the return from exile. So Israel has come back from Babylon. They're in the land. They're back in Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple. It's shabbier than it was before, but they've rebuilt the temple, and they're worshiping. They're doing the things, but there had been this prophetic hope that when they came back from exile, the Davidic kingdom was going to come. God was going to re-establish his kingdom on earth as in heaven, and this restoration that was going to take place, and now they're back, and it doesn't look like that's happened. And they find themselves asking, is this working? Has God left the building? And I think this is a powerful book for us in this moment as well, because I know uh, many of us are asking a similar question. As we look at the church in America as a whole, many of us can be asking, has God left the building? Some of us have, uh, many of us have friends or family who've walked away from the faith. Uh, we look in our culture at large and many seem to be walking away from a trust in Jesus and life with his people. Uh, And sometimes, you know, we can say, yeah, well, I see globally like the church is booming booming and and thriving, but here in my own context, in many of our most intimate circles, it feels like people are leaving. And some leave because the world maybe seems more alluring, uh, but many are leaving because the church seems just as despairing. That life amongst God's people can seem like it, doesn't seem like it offers the hope or the antidote that uh, maybe one would hope for or would expect. And so I think we have a lot in common with Israel at the time of Malachi. And so I'm excited that we get to dive into this book and see what God has to say to us, even for our moment today. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Malachi 1. Again, it's going to be about three-quarters of the way through your Bible, just for the New Testament. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers would love them to come forward and get, bring you a Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, feel free to take this. This is our gift to you. <laughs> Quickly here, just a, a bit about the structure of Malachi. It's structured with six conversations. Uh, perhaps better, dis- disagreements or disputes between God and his people. So often what will happen here in these six conversations, God will make a claim then Israel will disagree with that claim, and then God will come back and and unpack his his response, his claim. And so there's kind of the sense that God's people uh, do not share God's perspective on their situation. And what's happening in Malachi is God is giving his perspective on their situation. The name Malachi actually means my messenger. It's the same root as the word angel. So you could see the sense of God's people have this perspective, and then this angelic-like messenger is coming, and he's uh, basically God's going, you're about to get punked, right? Like, you think you know what's going on, and I'm about to flip the tables on your perspective and give you my perspective on what's going on. God is flipping the tables on his people's perspective of their situation and their context. And a major theme throughout this book is that judgment begins with the household of God. There is no talk of the nations or the outsiders or those out there. The focus, the bullseye, is on the back of God's own people. It's almost as if, you know, you had two sides of the church telling each other, you're not real Christians. Or, no, you're not real Christians. No, you're not real Christians. No, you're not real Christians. And God comes in and is like, you're both not real Christians. <laughs> like, let me actually set you straight and show you what I'm calling you to as my people today for this season. Uh, We see in this book, even amidst unfaithfulness and all in God's people, we see God's faithfulness to his people. We see a God who doesn't give up on but keeps coming after his people because of uh, the calling that he's given us, because of his presence that he's given us, uh, because of his heart for the nations that he wants to reveal himself to through his people. God keeps coming, and because he cares about us. And in this first week this morning, what we see is God starts with his love, his love for his people. So let's go to Malachi 1. Let's start in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. All right, so God opens here basically saying He is a Pentagon of Love. God defends those that He loves, and at first glance, this opening statement it can sound kind of strange, right? Uh, God's like, it's almost like I got home from work and I'm like, "Hey, Holly, I love you so much," and my my wife, Holly, she's like, "How have you loved me, husband?" I'm like, "Well, you know, our neighbors, Jack and Judy, like I beat the snot out of them." Demolish their house, their kids are out begging on the streets, they're going to the Rio Vista, we have people going to, get you know, like, like, it's, it, what, what is going on? Like, God's going, my love for you is shown in my destruction of your brother. That sounds hard at first glance, we're going like, how is that a display of love? I don't think Hollywood would be going, oh, thank you so much, I'm just, oh, let's go out tonight, you know, like, <sighs> it's a weird way to declare and show your love for someone. But I think one of the first things we have to ask is who was Esau? Esau was Israel's, uh, one of their national enemies, right? There was a entire history, uh, by this point in Israel's history, there's an entire history of Esau, which here is like a representative for the nation as a whole, of the people that came from him, the Edomites, that they are attacking and hostile to Israel throughout their history. And so in the wilderness years, is when Israel left Egypt and they're vulnerable and they're stranded and they're out on their own, um, the Edomites, Esau's people, they refused to care for them. They refused to let them pass through their land. They refused to show hospitality. I was talking with my 10-year-old daughter this week, and I was like, oh, we, some ideas on I had to read the passage. We were talking about it. And, um, and she's like, oh yeah, the Edomites, we just learned about them last week in Sunday school, and when they attacked Israel when they were down and tried to take all their stuff from them. And, and so I'm like, my 10-year-old daughter knows this, right? So The Edomites, and then as they continue in history, in the days of David and the kingdom, there was still all this hostility, but David was able to subdue them. Then you get later in their history, and the Edomites partnered with Babylon to invade and sack Jerusalem to tear down and help carry the people into captivity. We get later to the time of Jesus, and Herod the Great, the one who orders the massacre of all the babies, the slaughter of the innocents, was an Edomite. He was Herod the Great, was from the line of Esau of Edom. And so in context, there is this long history of Esau and that that nation, like of standing in hostility against God's people, of a posture of unrepentant antagonism and attack, and continually coming after and seeking to tear down, destroy. So there's almost a sense here of God going like, I love you. How have you loved us? You know ISIS that kept wanting to tear you down, destroy you? I took care of them for you. These are national enemies who are hostile to God's people. The context here is covenant. God had, when he called his people, he said, hey, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And Esau here, in the sense of the nation, Esau's a hater, right? Like he's standing against God's people. He is cursing God's people. And God is faithful to his covenant going, I chose you as my covenant people. Even though you were weak and wandering and vulnerable, I chose you. I set my name on you. And those who stand against you, who come to destroy you, I am your defender. God defends those that he loves. God defends us because he loves us. Because he has set his name on us, because he has chosen us, because he is for us. God defends us from those who stand against us. God is a defender. Now, Esau was not only a national enemy in that sense, though. Esau was also Jacob's brother. They shared the same father. Their kids were cousins. There was an intimacy of history there, a familiarity, of relationship. And sometimes the deepest wounds come from those who are closest to us, right? Like, I can, get, I can get an email from, like, a Nigerian prince saying, hey, I need $10,000, bail me out of jail, and, you know, I'll, I'll make you part of my kingdom, you know? And I can get that, and, like, I'm annoyed but I'm not really hurt, right? Because I don't know you. Like, I know you're trying to scam me, but this is someone I've never met, someone I don't even know, right? But if my brother tries to swindle me out of $10,000, there's going to be bad blood. It hurts more when it's someone who's close to you, when that spouse has the affair, when your business partner betrays you. I remember back in the day, I had a... Girlfriend who dumped me, broke up with me, and that's fine. That is what it is, right? But then I found out that that night she was kissing my best friend. I was like, double whammy, right? I got dumped, and I got, yeah, my best friend. I'm like, dude, come on. When it's someone that you trust, someone that you're close to, the wound cuts deeper. We see this uh, not only on personal levels, on national levels. One of the things that made the Rwandan genocide so horrific was this wasn't like outside country from afar invading. This was neighbor against neighbor. Hutu and Tutsi, like tribes that had lived together for generations. Uh, We Think about the conflict in Northern Ireland. And these are even within the Christian faith, like Catholic and Protestant within Northern Ireland. The wounds cut deeper when it's someone close to you that you trust. Sometimes you don't need God to defend you from someone who's far away. Sometimes you need God to defend you from those who are closest to you. Like not North Korea, but your next door neighbor, right? Like that kid on the playground doesn't want to build a snowman with you and whatever, that's fine, you don't know him, right? But when your own sister, Elsa, your very own flesh and blood, doesn't want to build a snowman with you, that's cold. Some might even say that's frozen, right? Man. <laughs> but the reality is, some of you have been wounded by those close to you. I think back in the day, um, Holly and I were more n- new, newer in our, our marriage and earlier on, and we had a close circle of friends. And uh, there was a friend of hers who um, spread some gossip and some rumors within kind of this small circle. And knowing some of the context, you know, she. She had something gnarly going on in her own life and it felt like they was trying to deflect by attacking and Holly found herself in this difficult position of going, man, I feel like I'm being slandered, gossiped on by someone I trust, by someone who's close to me to all the people who are closest to me. And yet the only way to set the situation straight would have been to drag her, uh, the other person's own mud out in the middle and, and going, I don't want to sink down to that level. And felt like the high road meant, God, I need you to be my defender. Like, in order to walk uprightly through this right now, I don't think I can, I don't want to sink down to that level and go on the attack. I need, God, you to be my defender. And so, for a year, Holly had this rock she put in the pocket of her jacket, and there we wear jackets all year. we were in Portland, Oregon, there we wear jackets all year round because the rain is nonstop and it's cold, unlike one month here in January, like right now, where it's really cold. And I'm... <laughs> There, though, yeah, she had this rock so that every time she put her hands into her pockets in her jacket, she would remember to pray for this person and asking God, God, I need you to be my defender and I need you to set the situation right. And over time, uh, haven't like, over time, the truth came out through other means, over time, um, the uh, things moved forward, over time, it came out that the stuff this other person had been going through was way more than we even knew. Trouble in, uh, trouble in a marriage, extended family conflict, all the stuff that we didn't even realize. And Holly, in retrospect, man, how powerful, God, that you would call me to pray for my enemy and that you would rise to defend me, even in the midst of some of the people that I most trusted. I think a question for us when those who are close to us wound us is, do you trust God to be your defender? Like do we look to him and say, God, I need you to stand up for me, I need you to stand in the gap for me right now, because in order for me to take the high road, I need to look to you and trust you as the one who loves me enough to arise to my defense. God defends us because he loves us. And the reality is, God wants to be your defender. And when you know that God's your defender, when you know that God's got your back— You can walk uprightly through any situation. God is like the Mandalorian, right? And you're Baby Yoda. (laughs) Like, God has stormed the Imperial Troopers, like the enemy territory, to get you out of enemy territory. And yeah, you got like some special powers and things, but you're not mature enough to know how to use them yet. And so you need God to guide you through and get you where you need to go. And the reality is God is committed to us, though. He is our defender. He is with us as his people. And even when he has to confront stuff in us, like he's going to do here in this book of Malachi, that ultimately God is out to defend those that he loves and to get them where we need to go. God's going to get us where we need to go. All right, let's keep going. Verse 4. It says, if Edom, let's talk about Edom really quick. Edom is just another name for Esau, right? The Edomites were the people who in the place, the people who came from Esau were the Edomites. Uh, The place of Edom was the place where they lived. And uh, it says, Edom actually means red. It's just the word for red. Um, And Esau was described as being red, complexion, and then he uh, uh, is associated with the color red. When he's hanging out with Jacob, and he basically sells his birthright for a porridge of red stew. And then when uh, their people live in the hill country, it's hill country known for being like the Red Rocks hill country, like Sedona or something, right? So Edom basically means uh, red, and this is the people of the place of Esau. It says, If Edom says, We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, They may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. All right, well, here we see Uh, that if you set yourself up against God, don't bother getting back up, right? (laughs) Don't get back up. If you set yourself against God, don't bother getting back up. Have you ever seen one of those fights where, like, the person, you know they're down, right? Like, they got beat, they got knocked down, and yet they still, for whatever, they're trying to muster some energy just to kind of make some come, but you know, dude, this is not going to end. You're just like, dude, just stay down. And they kind of muster the thing up and then it's the roundhouse kick and they're just out cold right and you're just going if you just stay down and i think god's essentially telling esau just stay down right if you get back up and you try and set yourself you've set yourself against me and if you try and get back up and do your damage again i'm going to knock you back down again just stay down god's going like if isis tries to rebuild i'll demolish him again i'll defend you my people again Worth recognizing, however, that when Malachi is writing this, Israel's defense systems are down. Right? So I mean there's something interesting. Let's get Bible nerdy here for a moment and uh, take a look here. That the first few verses are past tense, the next few verses are future tense, right? So in verses two to three, God says, I have loved you, I have defended you, right? I have torn down. And then in verse 4 to 5, it moves to, moves to future chance going, um, I, if, they, if they seek to rebuild, I will tear them down. I will, uh, they will be called. And so there's a shift here from verses 2 and 3, of looking back at what God has done. Verses 4 and 5 are looking forward to what God has promised to do. Yet Israel in this moment finds themselves in the middle. Someone say in the middle. In the middle. Israel is in the middle of what God has done in the past, and what God has promised to do in the future. When I was a kid, there was a show called Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, This is Malachi in the Middle, right? (laughs) Malachi and God's people are in the middle of what God has done for them in the past, and what God has promised to do for them in the future. But in this middle moment, they find themselves in between, where the defense systems seem to be down. They're back, and and yet even though they're back in the land, they're back in Jerusalem, they We've got the temple going again and they're doing this stuff like the pagans are still in control the gentiles are still dominating they're still kind of under the thumb of uh foreign powers of outsiders dominating their life and a question here in this backdrop malachi it's kind of like, god if you love us why aren't you defending us now if you're for us then why are we experiencing this present occupation Have you ever felt and found yourself in the middle, like where your enemies seem to be winning and the defense systems seem to be down? This could be watching as the woman of you love, her body is ravaged by cancer. This could be as your business is failing and the retirement's draining and it's just the creditors are coming for your home. We can find ourselves going, God, where are you as our defender god if you're our defender have you left the building where are you god where were you when i was a kid and the one who was supposed to protect me abused me god where were you when that school shooting took place and took the life of my niece or my nephew god you if you're our defender where are you in the midst of this middle In between what you've promised to done, to what you have what you have done, what you've promised to do, and what do we do when we find ourselves in the middle of it, in this place where we trust God as our defender, um, but it doesn't feel like it in the moment? I want to suggest five things. Five things that uh, I've found helpful, and I think many of them we see here in Malachi. Uh, The first is to look up, right? Going to look up and to bring our complaint to God. One of the things we see here in Malachi is that God's up for the conversation, right? God can take our protest and our, our disagreement, and God loves and longs to speak into it. And so the first thing when we find ourselves in that place of where are you as our defender is to look up and to bring our complaint to God. The second and the third is to look back and to look forward, right? It's to look back to what God has done in our lives and to look forward to what God's promised to do in our lives, like we see here. Uh, But then there's two other things, I think, you know, not only looking up, back and forward, but also looking within and reminding ourselves it could be worse, right, Uh, most of the time. This is something I I found helpful that I like to do is to look within and go, okay, it could be worse. And here's what I mean by that. Um, When Holly and I first got married, uh, well, even when we were dating, she had this weird thing she would say. we would go to the movies let's say and the movie was all sold out I'm like oh bummer date night we really wanted to see that movie and da da you know and holly would be like well at least we're not amputees in the civil war <laughs> i'm like what <laughs> and you know she would throw out this phrase and i'm like what and then as we got to know each other more <laughs> learned was that when she was younger she had the school project where they were researching the civil war and she learned about you know like before anesthetic and the injuries and they might have to get amputated and kind of thing and she just could not imagine anything worse or more horrible beyond imagination than having to have an amputation in the civil war without anesthetic right and yet it became this way for her of putting things in perspective of going yes it's bad but it ain't that bad and that actually helps kind of frame or give some perspective on the current moment um, she you know I, I i found as i got older i i worked internationally back in the day um in a couple of contexts that were like post-genocide contexts, so in cambodia and rwanda and seeing some of the aftermath and working with communities that had endured so much and had come out the other side and were rebuilding uh, it was interesting when i came back i remember um holly and i like where she would say josh you seem to not we came back there was a chan- there was a, a time when we are moving offices, the place we used to be in, and people were kind of arguing over who gets what furniture and who gets which office, who gets which thing. I just didn't really care. I'm like, I'll do whatever, you know. And I was like, how come? It seems like you're never, like, tweaked out by the, you know, things that folks can get really worked up over. It's like, I don't know. And then as she got to me, where she's like, oh, I think I see what it is. Like, some of the international experience, some of the big picture stuff, like, it puts things in perspective where you kind of go, it could be worse, right, for a lot of things. And we may need to, at times, I think, adjust our expectations. Um, C.S. Lewis, I remember reading uh, back in the day, he had this quote. He said to the effect of, um, basically, if you approach life expecting this world to be like a holiday resort, an all-inclusive paid resort or something, right, where the drinks are free and everyone's coming to give you food and wait on you hand and foot, whatever, then reality is, every hardship or trouble or thing you experience is going to rock you. It's going to make you feel like, man, this is not the way it's supposed to be, right? But if you approach life and the state of the world as something more like a prison, right, and uh, things being off, then it kind of flips things, and you basically start to rejoice in every little good thing that happens. Oh, man, this is better than I deserve. This is more than I would have expected. And the reality is you and I, we live in Gotham not disneyland right like sometimes i don't know that we take seriously enough the impact of the fall on our world there is yes the beauty of creation and god's design and intention for creation its wholeness but there's also the reality of the crazy extent to which sin has ravaged creation god's good purposes for his world and in one sense we all live in the middle right now we all live in between eden and the new Jerusalem, between the garden and the kingdom, And in the midst of that, I think it would be helpful that we look up to God, we bring our complaint to him, we look back to remember what he's done in our lives, we look forward in anticipation of what he's promised to do, look within and remind ourselves, man, we're in the middle, and for many things at least, it could be worse. Next thing, final thing I'd say, is... um, well, I'm sorry, one other thing here on this part is uh, what could be worse, sometimes you don't see the things that God has defended you from, right? Sometimes the reason you don't see them is because God has defended you from them. Uh, my kids, two of my boys recently were having a snowball fight. And yes, we're in Arizona, there's not supposed to be snow. We're at their school and somehow they got like a magic machines or something to come in and make like a snow park, whatever. So my kids are out with their classmates and there's this, this snowball fight. And one of my sons, I won't say which one, but one of them, you probably, those of you who know him, you probably know which one. But he, he managed to somehow, out of all this fluffy snow, find and pack ice. And so he had like this ice ball, and he was near my other son, who was looking away, didn't see it coming, and getting ready to just launch this ice ball right into his face. And I saw it, and I grabbed his arm. <laughs> no. Poop <laughs> there, right? <laughs> now my other son he never knew I defended him from that ice ball, (laughs) He didn't know I didn't say anything, it didn't need to be said, you know? He didn't know because I had defended him from it. And I think like that, you and I, if we saw, I think God often is like, dude, if you only knew, if, (laughs) if you only knew the things I had defended you from, if we could only see both natural and supernatural, the enemies, those who want to tear us down, that God has restrained their hand. See, often we talk about, God's sovereignty in relation to evil, and we talk about like, things like almost like God uh, causing evil or whatever, uh, but I think really a biblical picture that, that we often see is it's more this picture of God restraining evil, of putting a boundary on the extent to which it can come. God doesn't create evil. He sovereignly uh, is at work in the midst that he orchestrates. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't create it, but even that which he allows, he allows in order to use it to develop and grow our character, maybe other things, and evil, that's a big, complicated topic. We don't need to get it. But big picture, going God, his sovereignty, part of that is going that he restrains those ice balls that are coming after us. He restrains and puts boundaries on the extent. And when he doesn't, he's sovereign in that too, and he can use it and shape and form us and bring us where we're going. God is a defender often in ways we don't even see or know. And so we can look within and remind ourselves, and the final thing, we look up, back, forward, within, and then look around and ask for help. We can look around and ask for help. Because God's defense of us often comes as a team defense. And sometimes i think we approach this christian life more like we're playing tennis when we're really playing football i think tennis solo sport where your defense is all on you maybe you and god and your prayer whatever and it's more like football where god's going like dude i've given you a team and if you think one person trying to play defense as a football team it's not going to work right like you need the others you need those around you and sometimes when we're hurting when we're in that spot where we're in the middle of it and we need god as our defender reach out and ask for help. And a lot of that's going to come through community, through entering and being in community. That could look like being in a redemption community here. That could look like being in an ID group. Uh, one of the areas we really want to grow in uh, this year is developing our care groups and uh, being able to walk with and groups that can care for them in the midst of grief and kind of crisis. And I think often when crisis hits, you know, for uh, Those of us who are pastors or whatever, I think that we want to be there almost more like it's ER, right? Like diagnosis, like what's going on, like speaking the word of God, hopefully, and trying to help get connected. Um, But often, I'm probably not going to be your best, like, football team, right? Like, like I want to be there in it. We all want to be in it together as a people. But often, those who uh, can really help rally around as your most intimate defense are those that you're in life with. I think part of the call here is to get involved and connected with community and that for for all of us, that we can defend one another. We can be part of God's defense team, his system to help support when the enemy is attacking people in our lives. Part of that looks like supporting one another. Part of that looks like speaking truth, confronting the lies and accusations of the enemy, of being a team that is with one another in the hard places, in the trenches of life. All right, <clears throat> so in summary, we, when it feels like the defenses are down, we look up and can bring our complaint to God. We look back and remember what he's done. We look forward in hope of his promise, what he's promised to do. We look within and often we can remind ourselves it could be worse. We look around and ask for help. And in those moments where it feels though like this couldn't be worse, this couldn't be worse. My experience has been those are often places where we encounter God's presence most powerfully, most significantly. When I hear the stories who have been through the deepest trenches, they'd often say that's where God met me in a way. I don't know how to describe or put words to you. And if you find yourself in that spot, my question would be that to look to God's presence, seek his presence in the midst of that space, and to look to God's promise, that even if it hits the worst case near death, doesn't have the last word. Resurrection means victory is coming. That the question is not if God will arise to defend, the question is when. Because the resurrection has secured God's future for us. All right, well, finally, let's wrap up here in verse five. As your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Malachi points us here, reminds us that yes, victory is coming and it's going to be great. Victory is coming and it's going to be great. That God's victory reveals God's greatness in the world. Not just in the church, but in the world. This is beyond the borders of Israel, beyond the borders of God's people, beyond the boundaries, God's victory reveals his greatness in all creation for all Sometimes we often say today in our culture, oh, that's good for you, but not for, for me. And the reality is, no, no. Like Jesus is king of all the earth, and his victory is coming, and it has implications not just for us, but for the world, that Jesus is not only good to his people, he is good for his people against their enemies. And even God's judgment of those who stand opposed and antagonistic to him and his kingdom, even that reveals his greatness. Even that reveals his greatness. And I'm so grateful. Like, we have a God who loves his people enough and who loves his kingdom enough that ultimately when he establishes that victory, he will defend it from all those who set themselves in opposition against it, against the goodness of his kingdom and his reign. We do have to ask, though, we're talking about God having victory over his enemies. We have to ask, who are these enemies? Who are God's enemies? Because we have a tendency to make our enemies God's enemies right? To think that just, oh, those people we don't like, they got to be God's enemies, too. We can tend to make God's enemies whoever we don't like. And so sometimes uh, if if you're, you know, Republicans can make that the Democrats, like communists can make that the capitalists, uh, some feminists can make it like uh, men are the real problem in the world. Some misogynists make it like women are the real problem in the world. Marxists make it like the rich are the real problem in the world. Like we're all good at basically finding someone outside of our, ourselves and going that they are the real problem. They got to be God's enemies too. But it's worth recognizing here that's not what's going on in Malachi. It's the, the dividing line here. The distinction is between God's people and those who set themselves antagonistically against them picture here would be God's church and those who set themselves against his church. God's people and those who uh, stand against them. Now, God's people have plenty of problems. We got plenty of problems within our own walls, right? Like, and we're going to see that in Malachi. God is going to confront his people on all the junk within. And judgment begins with the household of God. But God is starting here when you are my people i have set my affection upon you i love you i am for you and as we're about to get into the hard stuff that's going on within my people i want you to know that ultimately i am for you and i'm going to defend you against those who want to tear you down and i think there's a great confidence that can come with that as we enter into this book of malachi and the message here Um, because as we see in our culture i think there are many who uh, Man, it's become popular to just kind of rip on the church to bag on it, to tear it down. To, and essentially, I feel like that's ripping on Jesus' bride. And God's going, as much as I'm going to confront the hard stuff within my people, I am for my people. Jesus is for his bride. And it raises the question, are you? Are we? Are we for the bride of Christ? As we look at the problems within God's people, do we use those to pre- push ourselves away or to press deeper in? To be the change that Jesus wants to see in his church. To be the kind of people who are pressing deeper into, there's gonna be this theme we're gonna see in Malachi about the theme of the remnant. And the remnant who are people who in the midst of a corrupt time, even corruption within God's people, are pressing deeper into life with God rather than pushing themselves away from the people of God. people who are pressing deeper into dependency on God rather than distancing themselves from God. And the context for all this is God's love, his affection for us, and his desire to display his love to the world through us. So as we come to the table this morning, the invitation is to come to Christ, our defender come to his body given, his blood shed. We come to Christ who has defended us and who will defend us and who is in the midst of whatever trench or valley of the shadow you might be going through today. He's with us in it. We come to Christ, our defender, who defended us by letting his defenses down, so to speak. That he defended us as his beloved, by giving his life for us as his enemy. We come to Jesus who, his defense of us, he allowed us to kind of storm the ramparts, to breach his defenses, to actually tear through his very body, his flesh and bone, to tear him down in order that we might be built back up secure in him. The invitation this morning is to come to Christ our defender, to bring him a celebration I want to encourage us to celebrate this morning as we come to the table. For some, it may be looking back and remembering what God has done in your life, the things that he has defended you from. Come this morning in a posture of gratitude and celebrate that victory. For others, it might be the spot right now where you feel like, man, God, I need you to be my defender because I don't see it right now. I'm in a place that I'm hurting, and it feels like the enemy is just rolling over me, and I don't know what to do or where to go. God, I need you to be my defender. Come to the table this morning, to Christ who says, I will be with you in the midst of it. The solution might not come today, it might not come tomorrow, but it's coming. And on the way there, I give you my very self. I give you my presence. I give you my body. I give you my blood. I give you my spirit. I give you my presence. I give you myself to journey with you through it. Would you join me in prayer? And as we pray, I want to um, invite for any of you this, this morning where there, there may be something that, an area that you feel threatened in, that you feel like you're just being rolled over by the end of this morning. I want to invite you as we're praying, all eyes closed, to you and God, but I want to invite you to extend your hands out, just in a posture. Of it. Imagine as if that thing, that area of your life that you feel threatened in, that the enemy is rolling over, that if you just extend, imagine that thing being in your hands. Open it up before God. And with that thing before you, this prayer, I want to read out uh, just this verse from Romans 8. Verses Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come not powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ, we look to you this morning as our defender. God, we thank you for and we celebrate the ways that you have defended us in the past, the ways that we can see. God, we thank you for the ways even though we haven't seen, those things that you've restrained that have been out to get us that we might not even know about, God. Thank you that you are our defender who walks with us as you God, I pray for those who are in the trenches this morning, right now, Lord. I pray that your presence would go powerfully in the midst of it with them, God. God, I pray that you would arise to the defense that, God, though it may not come tomorrow, it may not come for years, God, nonetheless, we seek you and we pray you are a God who is powerful to move mountains today. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that through your spirit, you would arise and defend them in, in whatever circumstance they find themselves in today. They would experience even now a foretaste of your victory that's coming, Lord. Jesus, defend your people. You are our defender, and we place all our hope and all our trust in you. Thank you that you have set your affection upon us, and you have loved us. We love you in return.